morning to all of you who are joining us online and all of you that are here with us in the Worship Center. My name is Ginny Stair. I'm a Family Life Director, and I am so excited to be doing something that we have not been able to do for a whole year. We have three families joining us for family dedication this morning. So families, would you join me up on stage? While they are joining us up here, I want to tell you what they are doing. They are coming up here to publicly commit to raise their kids to know and love Jesus. So if you guys can, right there. Perfect. So families, it is your primary responsibility to raise your kids and to guide them to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and to help them love him and to follow him. Church family, it is our responsibility to help them, to pray for them, encourage them, to love them. They need us to do that, and it is our call as church family to do this. So let me introduce you to these families. So first we have Trevor and Melissa Bushhouse, and they are dedicating little Tessa Alice. Tessa is 10 months old, and they have big sister Ella here, right Ella? She's going to help with her little sister. And they have chosen Jeremiah 1, 5. For I formed you in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. May God bless you guys as you help these girls know how much God really does love them. So next we have Brian and Stacy Joswack, and they are dedicating little Amelia Lynn. Amelia, she's watching herself on the camera over there. See all your friends out here? <laughs> Amelia is 20 months old, and they have chosen Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 for Amelia. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of the Lord, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God bless you guys as you help Emmy to walk in God's ways and to love him. And finally over here we have Michael and Aubrey Schramer and they are dedicating little McKenna Elizabeth who is also 10 months old. Love the pigtails. And they have little Lincoln who just turned three. And they have chosen Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for McKenna. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. May God bless you guys as you help Tessa and Lincoln to trust God and to love him. Would you join me in praying for these families? Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to celebrate with these families and the blessing that these little ones are to them. Lord, I just ask that you draw these little ones to you. Give these parents wisdom and discernment as they help to raise their kids to love you. Give them strength and patience for the journey ahead. Father, would you help us as their church family to walk alongside them, to encourage them, and to love them and to help them in this. Lord, we love you and we love these families. We ask that you bless them. Help them to love you and to follow you. Give them all the wisdom they need. Lord, we ask all of this in your precious and holy name, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Come on over here. And good morning, family of God. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us? Let's get ready to worship the Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus. Welcome. If you're online, join us in singing to him. He is worthy of our praise. Jesus, we want to see you. Will you open the gates of heaven and bring your presence? We know you are here and you invite us to worship you. And so we come and we respond. We praise your name.
are forgiven in Christ alive. We live. We are the reason, and He shall come again. Praise the King. Praise the King. Yes, Lord, that is the song of our hearts this morning. Yes. Praise you, Lord. We're worthy. We're worthy today. So, Father, let us believe that. Let this, let this not just be some emotional response, but let this be an encounter with you, Father. And, Father, show us more and more this morning that you are with us and you are present. We love you. We do all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus, the King of glory. Amen. 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 Let's give it up for King Jesus this morning. You may be seated. If you do not know me, my name is Josh Laxton. I am one of the teaching pastors and also have the privilege of pastoring our young adults. And so what we have just experienced, that's heaven. Yeah. Thank you. One of you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's truth. We were singing truth. Christ has died. We are forgiven. Christ is alive. Uh, we are the risen. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not singing it. I'm just going to speak it because you don't want me singing it. Well, uh, before we kind of have our, our pastoral prayer moment, let me just uh, celebrate with Wheaton Bible about 2020 and our giving. Hey, we ended the year in the black, yeah, so give it up, yes. Give it up for your generosity. Now, you, you do realize that when you give to his church, you are literally giving to the mission of God. So part of the mission of God involves all of these ministries and all of these programs and all of our mission partners. And when you give, you make a difference. And one of uh, my mentors, uh, he's taught me, when you don't give, you make a difference. And so just know that what you do give, gosh, it is going way beyond you. Hey, will you go with me to the Lord in prayer before we dive in this morning? Father, we are here to glorify you. We are here to worship you, to ascribe worth to you. You are our creator. You are our God. You are our pursuer. You are our lover. Even when we were far away, you pursued us. You forgave us. You drew us to yourself. Through your son, you demonstrated your love for us. Even while we were far away, we were sinners. You sent Jesus, and Jesus, you died in our place. We worship you, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Father, I know that this week our nation sworn in a new president in his administration. And the Bible calls us to lift up those who are in authority over us. And so, Father, we, we pray for President Biden, his cabinet, his administration. Uh, we pray that you would give him wisdom and discernment from heaven. 
We pray that you would bring conviction. If he doesn't know you, if none of his cabinet knows you, if none of his administration knows you, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to convict their lives, to convict their hearts. Would you draw them to yourself? Father, I pray that you would put people around him to speak truth into power. Father, I pray that you would unify our nation. So I pray that their administration will be a unifying administration. And if they will not be, here's my prayer for the church, that we would be the united body that you have called us to be. So that when our nation looks at how you can be unified in diversity, they would look at the church. And they would see how Republicans and Democrats and conservatives and liberals can come together and worship the King, King Jesus. May we be the salt and light of the world. For it is in our King's name, King Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 14. While you're turning there, let me welcome all of you who are connecting with us online via Facebook or YouTube. It is so great to have you with us this morning. Now, we're in this series, The Upper Room, where we're looking at really the last 48 hours of Jesus' ministry with his disciples here on planet Earth before he will be arrested, crucified, buried, and then three days later, he rises from the dead. But we're looking at this, this period of 48 hours, and we're seeing what we can glean from Jesus' teaching and apply to our life today in the 21st century. So will you go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word and we will jump right into uh, the word this morning. Now we're only going to read one verse, but I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. But verse 1 says this, Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be what? Troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. Jesus, we pray that you being the word would speak to our lives and that you would go to work, spirit, conforming us and molding us more into the image of Jesus through the preaching of your word. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus is in this upper room with his disciples, and he utters these words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, that word troubled could mean disturbed, it could mean unsettled, it can mean confused. Now, why would the disciples' hearts be confused, be disturbed, be unsettled? Well, I could give you a couple of reasons. If you kind of read the context, uh, Jesus has been talking about his impending death. So he's told his disciples, the Son of Man must die. Uh, So life is going to get darker before it gets brighter. Uh, Jesus has showed them what a true servant does. He goes over, grabs the bowl, grabs the towel, and wipes dirty feet. That's what a servant does. Well, he's also shared with them that one of the 12 would betray him. He's also said that Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, to shake your faith. And then he even tells Peter, hey, buddy, 
you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now, as you can imagine, I want you to imagine, you're one of the 12. Jesus has just told you all of this. He's demonstrated this. Your mind's spinning. Like, oh my gosh, what's, what's happening? And we thought, we thought this is the king who's come to make all things new, to come to overthrow the Roman Empire, uh, come to institute the glory days, even better days of Israel. Well, what is he talking about? Dying. And, and then there's probably some shame there, right? Because, uh, you, you know, Jesus, their king, the, who they claimed as the son of God, he's the one grabbing the bowl, washing the feet. I, I think it's kind of a little shame going on. Like, man, we should have we, we, we we, we known better. We, we should have grabbed the bowl. We should have grabbed the towel. And then there's this confusion. Like, betrayal? Why, why, why would somebody betray Jesus? And, uh, like, I, I'm confused, Peter. That's what Peter's thinking. I'm confused. What do you mean I'm going to deny you? I'll, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. See, Jesus knew that in their environment, their situation, and their circumstances, their hearts would be troubled. Their hearts would be distressed and unsettled. And let me ask you this question. What troubles you? What troubles your heart? What's troubling your heart? You see, when I, when, when I look at humanity, I, I definitely see some things that trouble our hearts. Like, like one, trying to figure out life. Like, that's just troubling in and of itself. And then, when we think we figured life out, poof, something happened. You're like, man, i got to restart this thing. got to figure it out. And then, here's another thing, finances, paying bills. I know some of you are probably here, you're, you're listening online, and you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the rent. I don't, how, I'm no, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the mortgage this month. And so my heart is unsettled and it's disturbed. Maybe there's some relational problems, some tension in your marriage, tension with your kids. Maybe you've gone through a nasty divorce, or maybe you have gone through a breakup. Maybe you are struggling with a wayward child, and then political turmoil. Hey, here's what I do know. Four years ago, half the nation, they, they were troubled. Uh, this past week, January 20th, half the nation is troubled. And so we got, we got political turmoil that leads to a troubled heart. Confusion, uncertainty, confusion as to what is transpiring, confusion as to identity, who I am, what am I supposed to do? Not being successful, not being recognized. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe there's a sickness in your family. Maybe there's been a death of a loved one. Maybe, maybe for the first time in your life as you're aging, you realize your mortality. And then maybe you might be sitting here feeling like a failure that you just don't have it all together. And those things trouble our hearts. But yet what Jesus says to his disciples and what he says to us today is do not let your hearts be troubled. And what we We'll unpack this morning is this main point. Turn to your neighbor. If you're ready, just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. All right, you're ready? Good. I'm so glad. Here's the main point. The solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. The solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. And Jesus gives us three truths that unpack that main point. And here we go. Truth number one. There's room for you in God's house. 
There's room for you. There's room for you. There's room for you. There's room for you. There's room for me in God's house. We see this in verse 2 and 3. Uh, Jesus, after saying, believe in God, believe also in me, says, my father's house has many rooms. Now, I know some of you, you grew up with the King James Version, and it's mansions. Well, you, you don't have a mansion. Sorry. Sorry to burst that bubble. Boop. No, so you're not going to have this like 4,500, 10,000 square foot mansion. Just sorry, not going to happen. Uh, rooms here actually means dwelling places. So in my father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back. And I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So Jesus is now speaking truth into their troubled hearts, hoping to bring calm and rest and peace. And the, and the truth that he begins with is that there is a room for you in God's house. Now, there's a couple of biblical themes that Jesus notes in these two verses. The first biblical theme that he notes is God's dwelling place. God's dwelling place. Do you know or do you realize that God has always intended to dwell with humanity? He's always wanted to be present among human beings. And the trajectory of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the very first book of the Bible to the very last book of the Bible, charts this trajectory that God wants to dwell with man. He starts in a garden. He moves to a temple. He moves from a temple to a person, Jesus. And then he moves from a person to a body called the church. And then from the church to the city, the new city in Revelation 21. So from Genesis to Revelation, God has always intended to dwell with humanity. But here Jesus says, I have to go and prepare this dwelling place. I've got to go prepare this room for you. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about, well, you know, uh, growing up with my earthly father, Joseph, I learned to be a carpenter. So I know the, I know the blueprint. I got my hammer. I got my nails. And I got, I got my tape measure. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to build. Is he talking about that? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about a spiritual place, a spiritual dwelling. And he's alluding to the fact that he has to go to the cross. He has to go to the cross because the cross is going to be the way he opens up and prepares the room for his followers. Now, a little over a month ago, I, I preached a, a message on the love of God seen in Genesis, right? I don't know if you were here. If you weren't, you didn't, I, I would just, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the love of God. But at the end of Genesis 3, God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. Now, why does he do that? Because they sinned. They committed rebellion. They, they committed treason. They, they got kicked out of the dwelling place of God. And then you fast forward some chapters and you see that God calls a man by the name of Abraham. And he promises Abraham, you're going to be a great name. You're going to have a great nation. And I'm going to give your ancestors this, this land, this promised land. And I, I'm going to be with you and they're going to be my, my people. And then you fast forward and God enters into a covenant relationship with Israel. And first, he has a tabernacle erected. And as, as Israel, as they, are, as they are mobile, this tabernacle follows them. And the tabernacle would always be in the center of Israel. 
And then you fast forward later in Israel's history, you see King David come on the scene. They're in the promised land. They're enjoying the promised land. And King David's like, man, we, we're flourishing as a nation. And, and here God is. He has, this, he has this, you know, mobile tent out there. Let, let's build him a temple. And so David wants to build a temple, but he doesn't. His son does, Solomon. And the temple becomes the centerpiece of Israel. Now, the temple is where the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, dwells. And there's only one, there was only one person that could go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence, his Shekinah glory, dwelt. And that was the high priest. No one else, no other Israelite could go into the presence of God. Then you fast forward, and what has happened is that Israel has disobeyed and has rebelled against God. They did not allow their life to revolve around the glory of God, and so God kicks them out of the promised land. They become exiles and strangers, but he sends prophets to tell them, hey, I'm not going to leave you as exiles. I'm not going to leave you as strangers. I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send a savior. And so you fast forward more and you see Jesus who comes on the scene. He is the deliverer and redeemer and restorer and savior. And we read in John 1 that the word of God, that Jesus was the word of God and the word of God became flesh and he, what? He dwelt, that means he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. And they who were able to behold his glory the glory of the, uh, of the only begotten Son of God. And now what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I've got to open up a way and a place and a dwelling place and a room so that you, so that you, yeah, Peter, yes, James, yes, John, yes, Thomas, yes, you and anyone who follows me can have a room in the house of God forever and ever and ever. So he's, he's prepared a way so that we can dwell with God. Now, there's a second theme too. There's a second theme that we see here, and I love this one. It's, it's the marriage and family theme. It's the marriage and family theme. Uh, did, did you know that in Jewish antiquity, uh, fathers arranged uh, for their son and their daughter to be married? Uh, so uh, the father of the groom would pick out a daughter for his son, and then he would pay a price, a dowry price, uh, to purchase uh, the, the, the woman for his son. And what would happen is that they would legally enter into a marriage covenant, but it would be called the engagement or the betrothal period. Now, what would happen is that they would be legally married in the eyes of Israel, but the, but the man, the groom, would go back to his father's house and begin to add on to his father's house to prepare for his future bride to come and be part of the family. Here's what Jesus is saying. He said, I am your groom, you are my bride, and and here's the thing, I've purchased you, not with some silver and gold, but I've purchased you with my life because I love you so much. And now I'm going to go prepare that place for you so that when I come back, you can tell I'm really, really excited about this, right? When I come back to get you, guess what? You will be part of the family of God. 
let's just let that sink in. That God wants you to be part of his family. And that he has sent his son to pursue you and purchase you. And that, and that Jesus loves you enough and me enough to die for us. Let me show you else. You want to see something else cool? Tell your neighbor, I want to see. I want to see. Let me, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you something else that's really cool. John 13, 21. This is what Jesus, uh, this is what the Bible says. Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now, now, why was he troubled in spirit? Because it was in the context of Judas betraying Jesus. And then in Matthew 26, 38, we read, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, this is in the context of him in the Garden of Gethsemane getting ready to go to the cross. Now, did you notice? Jesus' heart is troubled. It's disturbed. It's distressed. But yet he tells his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Why is Jesus' heart troubled? So glad that you asked that question. Let me tell you why. Because on the cross... God is going to pour out his wrath and his judgment on his perfect son for the sin of mankind. And at that moment, the father's back, his face would be turned from the son. He would be cast out from his home. And Jesus would be homeless because he has taken upon our sin. So don't miss this, church. Jesus was troubled so that we don't have to be. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's truth. <laughs> that, I mean, listen, that was, that was well worth the price of admission. You said, Dave, I didn't pay anything to get here. I'm telling you, it's awesome. The second truth that we see here is that the way to God's house is simple yet sacrificial. So not only does God have a room for you to dwell with him, but the way to God's house is simple yet sacrificial. Look at verse 4 and 6. So Jesus says, you know the way. Hey, guys. Listen up, hey, you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> and old Thomas, you got to love old Thomas, right? Uh, doubting Thomas, here's what, here's what old Thomas says. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Like we've, we've been asking you to text us the address. Like if you could just text us the address, we can pop it in ways. I know Peter likes, I know Peter likes Google Maps, but either, either way, we know that if you just give us the address, boop, we'll pop it in the GPS, we'll know where you're going. But you haven't told us where you're going. Jesus, he answered, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, before we break down Jesus' answer to Thomas, I want to note three tendencies that human beings have when they figure out that this world isn't their home. Three tendencies that human beings have when they figure out this world isn't their home. Tendency number one is they try to make it their home. So they, they realize, man, this world is uncomfortable. This world is troubling. It's not the way I want it. And so they go to work trying to make this world their home. Uh, this, th this kind of thought process would be found in atheists, agnostics, postmoderns, naturalist they don't see that there's this other world there's nothing lying behind this life and so what they do is they go to work trying to make this world their home have you ever met that, that you know um, that person who is so meticulous about their house 
Like maybe, maybe it's a mom, you know, with, with rambunctious kids and don't throw the ball in the house. Don't throw the ball. You'll break something. You know, like they're just so, yeah, so protective of their house. Or if you just like move a book on their coffee table, they're, there's no dust. Because they're, they're so concerned about their, their house being in order. Let me just, let me just say, say it this way. The reason why we have this cancel culture today is because those who cancel those who do not think like them, behave like them, act like them, they see them as someone who's messing up their home because they want to be comfortable. This is is my home. It's my house. A second tendency that people have is that they just give up and walk through life hopeless and in defeat. That's just a miserable way to live. They're like, well, we can't change things. It is what it is, so I'm not going to pitch a fit. I'm just going to survive until I die. Very hopeless. But then the third tendency that people have when they realize that this world isn't their home is that they realize that they were made for another world. And so, therefore, they try to figure out where they're going what home is, and then they adjust their lives accordingly. And this is where we get religion. So, so you have these major religions in the world. They believe that something is bigger. They believe that there is a God out there. And so they try to figure out who this God is. But every religion under the face of the sun, they have commands. They have rules. They have expectations. They have pillars. They have a pathway to enlightenment. And so what they do is they start working their way so that when they end this life, they could be, they could be off into the next life. That's religion. But did you notice that's not the direction Jesus gave his disciples? So Thomas wants to know the way to the Father. He wants to know about this other world. And Jesus doesn't give him a set of directions. Jesus doesn't give him a list of commands. Jesus gives them a person. I am. I am. Hey, Thomas, you want to know the way? Peter, hey, all of you, you want to know the way to the Father so that you can have a room with the Father? It's through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Let's just look at those real quick. The way. The way is narrow and demanding. The way is narrow and demanding. We see in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. You see, the way to God, the way to home where our hearts are at rest and at peace, it's not through success, it's not through money, it's not through riches, it's not through enlightenment, it's not arriving at some kind of nirvana or knowledge, it's not through work-based righteousness, It's not through personal freedom. The way home is Jesus. That's the way. And I understand what our culture is so narrow-minded. Listen, you're narrow-minded too. When you think that you you can just figure out however you're going to get home, that's a pretty narrow view because it's very complex. And so here's the thing. If it's so complex, it really is so narrow. Second, the truth is hard and difficult. The truth is hard and difficult. Uh, Jesus, uh, he teaches his, his disciples in John 6 that he's the bread of life. That anyone who eats me 
will have eternal life. Now, people thought he was a cannibal, but what he was, what he was getting at is that, listen, if you really want eternal life with the Father, you got you, you to go through me. Now, many of his disciples said, this is, this is found in John 6, verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So when people heard Jesus teach, they're like, man, who in the world can follow this? You see, the truth of home isn't subjective. Whatever's true for you, uh, you know, uh, it's not about how good you can Google. Wow, well, Google that. And see, you know, it's not, it's not about that. It's not about based upon like you reading more, learning more, gaining more knowledge. It's not based upon you just having better discipline. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just be better. It's not about you performing better. So that you can be comfortable and at rest in this world. The truth of home is Jesus. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To glorify the Lord in whatever you do, both in word and deed. Now here's the thing about that truth though. You cannot keep that and I cannot keep that. We can't keep that truth. But who can keep that truth? The truth can. So that's why the truth home is through Jesus. And if we are in the truth of Jesus, God looks at us as if we've always kept the truth. And then he says, the life, which is abundant and eternal. Jesus teaches his disciples in John 10, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am the good shepherd who has what? Who has come to give you life and life abundantly. And then in John 3, we know that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Hey, if you're looking for the life of home, if you're looking for the life of peace and rest and tranquility and harmony, devoid of, of trouble and distress and being disturbed, it's not doing what you want. It's not doing what feels good. It's not doing what feels right. It's not just doing you, which is what our culture says. Hey, listen. I mean, that's what's going on in the 21st century culture is that we want to open up Pandora's box so that human beings can do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it and claim whoever they want to be. That is not the way home. The life of home is Jesus. He gives us the vision of what it truly means to be human. He gives us a vision of what it means to relate to God and relate to one another. He gives us a vision of what it means to love and forgive and to show grace and mercy. It's Jesus who embodies what it means to live on purpose and live on mission. It is Jesus who teaches us what it means to celebrate diversity, celebrate ethnicity, celebrate gender, and to bring unity and diversity. It is Jesus who offers us true life, life eternal, an eternal life devoid of sin, devoid of brokenness, devoid of mess. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the thing about that direction. It's simple. I mean, just think about it. It's simple. It's not complex. How do you, how do you get to God? Jesus. How, how do you find your way to heaven? Jesus. How do you know what it means to be human? Jesus. It's simple. But don't miss this. It's sacrificial. Because if you're, if you're going to go the way of Jesus, you've got to die to the way of yourself. It's simple, yet sacrificial. And here's another cool part. It's, it's already, but not yet. 
It's now but not yet. See, when, when you... When you follow Jesus, you go ahead, and what he does is he deposits his spirit so that you can go ahead and get a glimpse of home. So it's now. You can go ahead and experience home right now. Even when the environment, even when the situations, even when the circumstances are troubling and tumultuous, you can go ahead and get a glimpse of home. But not fully yet. And so let me ask you, do you know the way home? Do you know the way home? Do you know the way home? And then the third truth that Jesus gives his disciples is you can know that you are part of God's house. Not only there is a room for you in God's house. And the way to God's house is simple, yet sacrificial. But hey, hey, hey guys, church, you can know that you are part of God's house. Well, yeah, Josh, how, how, how can we know? I'm glad you asked because the, 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 the disciples were asking the same question. And we see this in verse 1, 10, and 11. Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. You want to know? You want to know? You want to know that you're part of God's house. Believe in Jesus. Now, here's the thing I think sometimes we, we get this misconception that believing, that faith in Jesus is some kind of magical incantation. No, it's not. It's you put your faith, you put your trust, you put your confidence in Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to forgive you, to give you a vision of life. And by trusting and putting your faith in Jesus, you're like, I'll follow you. That's it. That's what faith is. That's what belief is. And so he's like, if you want to know that you are in the Father's house, believe in me. Now here's what Philip, now again, once again, we got, we got a disciple, just not quite getting it. And he says, Philip says, um, uh, Lord, <laughs> you're talking about the Father. Can, I, I can see it kind of very shyish. Can you show us the Father? <laughs> like, you know, really timid. Like, I, I, he doesn't know if he wants to go there. But Jesus, can you just show us the Father? <laughs> so uh, Jesus, he responds, says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father and the Son are one. Hey, do, do you realize throughout the history of mankind, mankind has wanted to see God? Like they think, yeah, God might be up there. He might be doing something. He's bigger. He's transcendent than us. But if I could just see God, if I could just see him, that'd be enough. That'd be enough. Like even Moses. Moses wanted to see God. He wanted to see God's glory. He wanted to see God's face. We want to see God. Because we'll think, hey, if we can just see him tangibly with our eyes, that will be enough. It will suffice. And what Jesus tells Philip is that, to look in my eyes is to see the eyes of the Father. And when you hear me speak, you are hearing the very words of God. When you see me raise the dead and calm the store and feed the thousands, you are literally seeing the Father do those things through me. 
Now, I know what many of you are thinking. I know what many of you are thinking online. You're thinking, well, uh, that was great for Philip and the other disciples living in that region during those days. They got to see God in the flesh. They got to see Jesus. If we got to see that, we surely would believe. Yeah, you know, poor Philip and Thomas not believing. We would have believed. And uh, so you're asking even now, I want to see Jesus. If I could just see Jesus. Maybe you're thinking online, riding in the car. Yes, if I could just see Jesus, that would be enough. See, Jesus knew that we would have that same thought. And that's why he says what he does in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Oh, this is amazing, church. Is that Jesus says, even what I've done, you will do greater things than these. So what could he possibly be talking about? Well, he's talking about a Holy Spirit-empowered disciple movement carrying the good news of Jesus, both in declaration and demonstration. And as this gospel would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and throughout all the world, here's what the world would witness. Listen, here's what the world has been witnessing for 2,000 years. They've been witnessing sinners become saints hard hearts become soft Jews and Gentiles become one I'll put that in today's vernacular Democrat and Republican becoming one the Colombian and the redneck becoming one the young and the old becoming one African Americans and Caucasians becoming one they've witnessed families changed marriages restored cities transformed empires turned they've witnessed the marginalized elevated the orphan adopted the poor served the oppressed find mercy and justice the sick cared for the lame loved life defended from birth to the grave the persecuted forgive the imprisoned sing and martyrs die with joy that's what the world has witnessed and here's how you can know that you are part of God's family Believe in Jesus, but also become part of his work. Because as you become part of his work, you literally give the radiance and the glory of King Jesus to a watching world longing for home. The solution to a troubled heart is to be at home with God. Let's pray. Jesus what a, what a word. I'm sure that there are troubled hearts today. There are troubled hearts today and they believe in you. Would you calm them? Would you speak? Would you speak truth over them? There are people here in this room online. Their hearts are troubled because they don't know you. And they're not at home. And they're searching for home. Today, Spirit, would you convict them? Would you draw them to yourself to the point where they believe in Jesus? That they believe Jesus was perfect that he is the king of the cosmos, of the world, who has come to make all things new, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Will they believe in that and give their life to him? And that's what we pray, that you might comfort their hearts. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Good morning. 
Thank you, thank you. My name is John Walker, and it's, it's my honor to serve as chairman of your elder board. Uh, I need to let you know uh, this morning that we have experienced a significant setback in our senior pastor search. Uh, in fact, it was our intention this morning to introduce to the congregation the elders recommended candidate for our next senior pastor, a candidate from outside our church. Uh, last Thursday evening, just three days ago, we received a call from the candidate withdrawing himself from consideration for personal reasons. Now that wasn't the message we wanted to share this morning, but I want you to know one thing, and that is that the elders are completely committed to being transparent with you and let you know just where things are at. So while this is clearly a blow to our efforts, we are confident that God will provide for Wheaton Bible Church. And he has led us and sustained us for over 90 years, and we know that he will continue to do so. So we are praying and uh, developing plans on how to best uh, proceed on our journey together as a church. Uh, this is going to take some time, so I want to ask you to please be patient. And we invite you to join us in waiting upon the Lord and seeking his provision and his timing. And as has been our practice, we will continue to bring you regular updates. And we ask for, and we deeply value, your prayers and your support. Uh, Elder Jim Getz, the chairman of our search committee, will now lead us in prayer. Thank you. Just before we pray, uh, we want to uh, say God is redirecting us and we are waiting on him. Uh, we are so very grateful for his power, his love. We are also very, very grateful for each of you, for your fellowship, your your love and your prayer. Proverbs 16.3 says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you this morning knowing you are our home and we praise you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us as we wait on you, that you would bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Give us now your wisdom, your peace, your love, as we trust all these things in you. Our country looks to you, our church looks to you, and each of us as individuals look to you in this time, and we praise you in the name of our Son, of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before we stand and sing, 
we thought it was appropriate for us to spend some time. What better time for us to be on our knees, to be praying, to humble ourselves before the Lord. We are the people of God. We're the family of God. And this church belongs to Jesus. And he is our chief shepherd. And he will never, ever let us go or stop shepherding his church, leading his church. And so even as we've heard this, we can trust him and continue to pray for him. So I wanna, want us to pause and spend a time uh, here in our service and if you're online uh, join us in doing this as well humbling ourselves before him seeking his face as a church as a body praying to him i look up to the heavens where does my help come from my help comes from the lord the power comes through prayer dependence on his spirit seeking his face his will, and letting him shepherd our souls, our hearts. And he knows where we will be, but he's also at work right now in us. And through this process, doing wonderful things in our hearts and in our church. And so let's, let's spend some time praying. Bring your prayers before him. He loves listening to the prayers of his people. And so pray that God would grant us wisdom. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our elders. Pray for the search committee. Pray for wisdom. James says, and God says through him that whoever lacks wisdom, let them ask. He gives abundantly. So would you join us in praying right now, right there where you are, online, here in the room. Pray for our church. Pray for wisdom. Pray for humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says that when we don't know how to pray, He prays for us, intercedes for us in our weakness. If we feel weak, there's uncertainty, questions, that's okay. We trust you, Lord. He who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How will he not also give us all things? He knows what we need. He defines what we need. And he always provides. So we wait on him. And we trust that all things work together for good for those who love you. And we love you because you've loved us first. You've been faithful. And you will do it again. You will continue to be faithful. You never fail. Pray for peace. This is all surpassing peace. Uh, surpasses all understanding. Would reign in our hearts. That we would trust him, our shepherd. We will not lack. And pray for us as a church. That this would be also a time for us to continue in mission continue to be light and salt, a city on a hill, to continue to lift up Jesus, to worship Jesus, to pour out our hearts to Jesus, continue to spread the good news of salvation in our community, continue to be a house of prayer, like Isaiah said. 
Lord, when we don't see it, you are at work. The things we know, the things we do not know. Would you equip us with every good gift as a church to do the will of God, Jesus Christ, the glory of his name. We want to see you. All things are from you and through you and for you. So reign in our hearts, reign in our church. You stand with us now. Let's sing. Let's declare these words together.
miracles, that he is the promise keeper, that he is our light in the darkest times. If that is true, we can surrender. Everything we are, we can surrender to him. Everything we have, we can trust him. We can look to him in full confidence. He has been faithful, church, over and over. He's been faithful then, he will be faithful now. He will do it again and again and again.
and your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in
Church, he loves you. He loves you. You're loved. His mercies are new. His compassion never fails. You're loved. I can't even really speak. But I do want to remind you of our annual business meeting next week if you're not registered you you can register just go online if you need one of those packets uh, about the financial plan and all of that they're out there somewhere throughout the building Hmm. let's just let's just sit just for a second the amazing love of God Jesus, he utters these words. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble. You're going to have trouble. There are going to be distressing times. There there will be confusing times. But notice, you will have trouble, but your hearts don't have to be troubled. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Church, that is what we are sent out in. We are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers. Because of King Jesus in us you are sent to be the salt and light of the world to be the very presence and dwelling place of God for a homeless world you are sent